Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords, and this is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 423rd show is Dr. Jonathan Schultz, Assistant Professor in the Department of Economics at George Mason University, who will be talking to us about God and Manon, medieval Catholicism nudging Europe towards democracy and development. Our history buffs are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. And Terry, why don't you start us off? All right. Dr. Schultz, you talked about the Catholic Church had changed the social structure in Europe during the Middle Ages. I'm curious, would there have been any difference in impact in dealing with a patrilineal society versus a matrilineal society? Well, that's a very good question. Um, in general, matrilineal societies um, emphasize, or women in matrilineal societies often have more rights than in patrilineal societies. What often happens is still that in matrilineal societies, the men are the strong men in the family, but now it's not the husband, it's often then the brother of, of the, the woman. So if, if, I, if I would be growing up, in a matrilineal society, the brother of my mother would be my my um, my uh, um, male role model, oftentimes, and and less so the my my father. So this is the strong person there. Yes, I think that there might be differences. That's also debated whether there are some um, uh, matrilineal uh, uh, lineages were present in Europe. Um, it's still debated, but overall, of course, matrilineal is also a form of kin of kinship complexity. It's also a form where society is clearly structured. So this is very different from what we know in in Western societies where the nuclear family dominates. Okay, Ed. Yeah, Jonathan. Um, in North America, we're familiar with the um, shall we say um, transition from um, tribal ownership or at least access to resources to um, private property by largely violent means. Um, how did that transition, that similar transition in Europe from um, tribalism to monarchy, um, how did that take place? It's a very good question and uh, this is so long back in time that we don't have um, a very good sense of how that took place. but. One thing I want to stress is that probably it entailed a large degree of hardship on people because it's not, it's not just that your extended family and tribes and lineages constrain you in your behavior. It's harder to be an entrepreneur and so on. But it's also, and in many places in Africa, you still have that. At the same time, it's also clear that it's your form of social security. It, your family cares for you. It, they, they look after you. And, and now if you get rid of this security net, if you get rid of these extended families, then this may entail hardship. And you see that the, med the medieval Catholic Church then becomes one of the biggest provider of social benefits in, in some sense. So you have all those institutions uh, um, popping up which care for, for widows and, 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 uh, and, and so forth. But it entails hardship, hardship, I'm pretty sure. So I'm also saying that because you could say, well, if you want to do development economics, why not just get rid of um, tribes and lineages and, and, and these forms of complex kinship all around the world? Well, 
problem is if you don't have a functioning government with a social security system, then this entails a lot of hardship. Hey, Jonathan, I want to talk a little bit about some politics. Um, the spread of Christianity in Northern Europe in particular seems to be tied very tightly to the concept of um, divine right of kings. Uh, the selling point to some extent for a lot of of uh, these sort of tribal rulers is that you would have this this um, organizational structure that would provide you uh, with the the kind of power and and security that you really don't have in a more tribal system. Um, is this another case because this seems like another case of things becoming less democratic at least in the short run um is is this development of divine right kings ultimately beneficial to the development of democracy down the road perhaps after the middle ages is over i think that's a very good point and what's part of this question is also so you have all these developments starting late antiquity so why then Democracy, democracy only pop, popping up way later in the t 19th, 20th century. And yes, um, uh, inheritance of, of the rulers um, certainly is not dem democratic. But what changed is, again, I'm talking about social structure, but you could also say uh, what started to emerge is a civic society, and the civic society would come together based on shared interests, shared goals, goals, you have those in the cities, and this allows to start putting constraints on the ruler. For example, a ruler, I mean, obviously he wants to have as much, these monarchs want to have as much power as possible, but now they're constrained, they have to get tax revenues, so now they have to start negotiating um, with, with their peasants, with, with their merchants in, in the urban centers and so forth. And then you start, you, you see that uh, forms of democracy or constraints on the monarchs start um, uh, emerging, and, and you didn't have that before. Okay, Terry. Yeah, um, I'd like to bring it to today. Uh, I believe we've seen some social structure changes, or certainly uh, what comprises the nuclear family household in America today over the last many decades. Has this been a result, perhaps, of changes in the church or the importance of the church? I think that's a very good point, and uh, I'm not sure but I have a good answer. So in a sense, what we stress in our research is that if, if you give more freedom to individuals, freedom of, to marry whoever they like, and, and you don't uh, you know, have arranged marriages or marriages to people within your family, then this created all those benefits. But of course, there might be an optimal point at which if freedom increases more, you get more assertive mating, so, um, meaning people with a similar social background start uh, marrying each other. And uh, these churches, um, as a point of, of coming together, become less important. So you get more assortment. So you, again, you might get a structure which um, is not conducive for, for a civic society. So a structure where uh, people clustered together uh, according to their social economic backgrounds and, and so forth. And um, I mean, the church or different religions is one way to, to come together and also to come together across different strata of the society. But of course, you also have clubs and, and so forth, 
which is famously discussed by Tocqueville, but it seems this is also in decline. So maybe too much freedom might be also detrimental for a civic society to flourish because you get this uh, assortment where people just hang together who have a similar background. Okay, Ed. Um, yeah, we uh, some of us read in the um, news in the, of the political world uh, references to tribalism um, in our times. Um, can you kind of line that up for us um, in comparison to the tribalism that you've described from medieval Europe? I think that it, it has uh, similarities. So... Um one thing I, I didn't talk much about is that if you have um, these high kinship intensities or high cousin marriages, it's associated with an in-group psychology. So you really care about your in-group. You care. Um, you might be dishonest to the out-group people to to favor your in-group, and that's um, something I guess that people now uh, name tribalism in the, in the political arena. And interestingly. Uh, if you if you talk about politics in the U.S. and if you if you think about Donald Trump, he seemed to be a candidate who was um, feeding on this in-group uh, psychology, so uh, you know policies um, against immigration and and so forth. And we can show that based on networks, kin, kinship networks in the U.S. at the county level, we can predict voting for Donald Trump. So in counties which are characterized by stronger bonds of kinship, we measure that by surnames, um, they're also more likely to, to vote for Donald Trump. So this, this kind of psychology is still present and these, these mechanisms are, are still present that if you create an, an in-group um, mentality, then you get also uh, voting patterns which are consistent with that. Um, to follow up on that, the disparity in wealth in this country um, is arguably the worst in the world and certainly the worst in the history of this country. Um, does economic stratification become a form of tribalism? Well, well maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure, but it, it falls into um, what I mentioned earlier. If, if you get um, this people associating more and more according to their uh, economic status, then of course you, you get a society which is um, floating more apart. But what I also want to stress is that uh, my guess is that um, societies which experience these dissolution of, of tribes and, and kin networks care more about inequality. So they, they want less inequality. And even though there's more and more inequality in, in the U.S., and it, uh, I think it's not necessarily a good um, development. You have many more countries around the world where this inequality is, is way more pronounced than, than in the U.S. So in general, uh, I would say that uh, Western countries are more concerned about inequality than, or people in Western countries are more concerned about inequality than in other countries. Uh Jonathan, I get the honor of having the last question. Um, so I want to kind of go back to your um, to sort of your primary thesis about marriage and, and kinships and things like that. Um, it seems to me that the, the tighter that our kinship groups are, um, 
the the you know we talked about the the strength of providing social safety nets but also the isolation that happens what did travel and and the increasing ability of europeans to travel in the middle ages as time went by um how did that play into this as well did that exposure also sort of encourage um more um more marrying outside of the initial you know the the initial uh, kin group well I, I certainly think so and um what economists do they always try to narrow down and and basically provide all the evidence that there's one factor which changes something so in in this case in the work we did we we wanted to show that the catholic church impacted the networks the social structure, the marriage structure in Europe, and, and we show that with data, that there's an um, association with, between the church and whether people marry cousins or not. But of course, there's many more factors which determine that. So for example, we can also show that in the mountainous areas where it's hard to go to the, the other village, uh, cousin marriage is higher, and, and it is for the reason that you s- just sketched. It's uh, harder to get there. People are less mobile, and then um, they marry their cousins. So there's many other reasons um, or other other factors that determine cousin marriages. And of, and, but more generally, I talk about social structure, about uh, family structure, but more generally, the, the network structure in society is, is very important. Um, you could also think about the caste system, it also uh, constrains who you're allowed to marry, and it, it probably will have very similar uh, detrimental effects on economic outcomes. All right. We would like to thank our guest for this 423rd show, Dr. Jonathan Schultz, Assistant Professor in the Department of Economics at George Mason University. He's been talking to us about God and man and medieval Catholicism nudging Europe towards democracy and development. The history buffs for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at station K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University.